Greetings, greetings, wherever you are, whatever time it is that you are listening to this, we welcome you to the Tangent Talk. You might be hearing something a little different today. I, Ildris Helbra, not to be confused with that older, you know, less handsome guy who has the name that sounds like mine. I'll be hosting it this time. And I want to host it this time because I feel like this topic addresses the sisters, the women, a little bit more than some of our other topics. During this episode, our cast will be discussing Tessica, a.k.a. Gorilla Glue Girl Brown, and the entire fiasco with what she did to her hair. How did Ms. Brown find herself in such a sticky situation? Was the public's reaction to it warranted and fair? How far are women willing to go to ensure they look their best? We'll further examine the history of the relationship that Black women have with their hair and how it led to the desire for a flawless do by any means necessary. But first, I want to introduce the cast, starting with a very esteemed guest of ours, Ms. Faith. Are you there? Yes, I am. All right. Welcome and thank you for joining us again. Tioff, are you there? I am right here. All right. All right. Luna Ma, are you there? I feel like I need the Jamaican sirens, like, boop, 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 boop. Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> Brother Darquan, are you here? Yes, sir. All right. All right. And once again, I, Eldris Helbrand here. So let's go into the topic. First and foremost, how did you find out about the situation and what was your initial response to it? Let's go with ladies first. Let's start with our esteemed guest, Faith. I found out about it on social media. So I was scrolling Facebook and I saw all the posts. First, I saw people making their own personal posts, mocking and teasing and laughing. Then I finally saw what they were talking about. So that was the first time I saw about it, uh, social media. That's how I heard about it. All right. What about you, Tioff? Um, I'm actually on TikTok and I actually came across the original video when she posted it. Sharon's mm, wow. ideal. So I pretty much got it directly from the horse's mouth, so to speak, um, <laughs> on social media about what she had done. Mm, okay, great. I didn't even know it originated from TikTok. That's interesting. All right. What about you, Luna? Yeah. I mean, much like Faith and Tioff, I heard about it on social media. And in particular, I follow a comedian here in Atlanta. His name is mm. LeVar. And uh, oh, he had done his comedic response to Miss Brown's unfortunate situation. And mm. we'll, I'll talk a little bit more about how I, I laughed when I first saw it. And then later <laughs> I was like crying, feeling very sorry for Miss Brown. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. What about you, Dark One? I have a friends group, a chat group with a couple of my boys and um, one of my friends who who I call the troll master because he's always mm -hmm. just trolling everyone, shared it with us. And um, we were just stunned. It was definitely comedic initially because I didn't, you know, we, none of us knew that there was any particular harm done at that point. You know, it was just stunning, really. So, but yeah, we share a lot of social media stuff with each other via that. Right, right. Yeah, and I myself, I frequent Twitter more than any other social media site. So if you're familiar with Twitter, it has trending topics. And I just saw Gorilla Glue as a trending topic. So I clicked on it and then I started seeing a lot of videos. Um, I think the first one I saw was the same one. You are referred to Luna Ma where the comedian was discussing it. And um, I don't know what my initial, I think it was more so shocked that somebody would do that more than anything else. But um, we will definitely get more so into how we feel about this overall and, and what that situation means for our community overall as we continue this conversation. 
Now let's talk about what consequences do we feel like she suffered from this? I want to start again with you, Faith. She suffered shame, embarrassment, regret, scalp damage. Mm -hmm. And what about you, Luna? You know, I really love that Faith talks about the shame as well as the fact that there was also damage to her her physical person, right? So it's not just, oh, her ego was bruised or her feelings were bruised about the matter. She, as Faith Gadal mentioned, she also suffered damage to her, her person, you know, her scalp. That's scary to me. Yeah. Mm. What about you, T.O.? Um, yeah, so let me just circle back a second because yeah. I didn't really go into my initial reaction, mm -hmm. but your initial reaction was similar to mine. It was shot like, why would a grown person think that it was okay to put that on her hair? And right, right. I was just trying to rationalize how she could have done that by a mistake. I, I couldn't understand it. But I mean, the consequences definitely speak for themselves, you know, because she put a pretty much an industrial grade furniture glue on her yeah. hair, which in essence affected her scalp and just really the the public humiliation of it all because people just couldn't wrap their minds around why she would use that product on her hair. <laughs> so my question is then, did she do it accidentally or did she do it and just the effects it had on her hair physically is something that she wasn't expecting? See, I have something to say about that too, Idris. There is a hair care product called Gorilla Glue. So my concern was, did she get mm. them mixed up or did she know that intentionally and was, you know, clowning around and it backfired? Because well, there really is a hair product by that name. Okay. So did she know that or not is Actually, my question. Like, yes and no, because I was, because you're talking about it's a product called Gorilla Snot, actually. It's, it's used to mold the hair. It's, wait, 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 wait. It's called, <laughs> wait one uh, dang minute. It's called what? There is an actual hair molding product for black women's hair that is called Gorilla Snot. And it's, I know it's ridiculous, but it's, it's used to mold the hair and it's typically used for to bond the hair for quick weaves. But in the original video from TikTok that she posted, she was using, I don't know if you've heard, if either you uh, lovely ladies heard of the product called Got To Be Glued, but it is a very strong hairspray that a lot of women use to hold their hair in place. And it's also used to bond down the hairlines of lace wigs. And she had run out of that. She had some got to be glued to put, she was going to put the got to be glued on her hair, but she had run out and she had Gorilla Glue around the house. But again, it escapes me how she thought Gorilla Glue was an appropriate substitute. I, I, I just, I don't know. But isn't it like Faith Godal said, isn't it possible that Gorilla Snot and Gorilla Glue, maybe it was just an innocent mistake? I thought that at first, but as somebody who's used Gorilla Glue on the, on the label, you can't even, uh, unless somebody else had it laying around her house, because you, you, the only place you can get that is in like hardware stores or hardware section, first of all. There's no way it can be confused with hair product. And it says right on the front of the label that it's for wood, plastic, and metal. So I, I'm baffled. <laughs> what about you, Dark One? How do you feel about that? Well, having been in the hair care industry for a hot minute while I was growing up, I, yeah, I was stunned. I, I couldn't believe that anyone could make that mistake or not be aware of the difference between the, the types of products. And yeah, and just having grown up and, and been in arts and crafts and just knowing that, let's say, super glue, how that can make your fingers stick together. Yeah, I just I was just amazed. But yeah, I, again, you all know from our previous episodes that I am very much opposed to some of the many negative impacts of colonialism 
And, you know, I think that this is directly connected to the current, let's say, societal definition of beauty, you know, where everyone is supposed to have this straight flowing hair down to their back and so forth. You know, it's a very big part of our popular culture. And I would like for us to touch on that a little bit, you know, just that this is not our natural state of being. And there's societal pressure to look a certain way. And that's a part of the reason why some women are willing to go this far to achieve that look. You know, so while I thought it was stunning and prior to knowing that she harmed herself, you know, I thought it was funny. Then I felt that sense of, you know, I really feel sorry for her that she would think to go that far to try to achieve this look. You know, I have sisters, so I empathize as well. That was kind of my thinking on it. Yeah, yeah. And and speaking about... Yeah, go ahead. No, thanks, Albert. I just want to, and I want to hear what you're going to say next, but I just have to Mm -hmm. say to Darquan, surely you're not implying that it's just women of color, black and brown women who are constantly reaching for a sense of beauty or perfection. I mean, I I know that there are women of all cultures who go to great extremes, all cultures who wear extensions, all cultures who wear wigs, all cultures who dye their hair, all cultures who, you get my drift. So let me leave it here. Helbra, rein me back in, but I just had to touch (laughs) on that because I I I certainly hope Dark One is not suggesting that it's just black and brown women. I want to respond to that too, but we haven't heard of any other women doing this. So we have to kind of deal with the particular situation. And yes, it's true. Women do, women of all races and cultures do a lot of different things to um, meet their societal settings of beauty, whether that's binding feet in China or other things that are harmful to women. You know, I mean, even heels are hard to wear, you know. So there are a lot of different things, waist trainers, all the sort of things that women do, makeup in general, you know. So yeah, I think that the pressures that society puts on women to achieve that level of beauty in many ways is harmful to women. Overall, of course, my focus being a black man is black women, though. All right. <laughs> Same here. Regardless of, of what Darquan and I say, ladies, we are on your side. And that goes out to all of our listeners, too. Are you? <laughs> but <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we are, we are, we are. But going back to uh, a statement you just made, Darquan, you said you felt sorry for her. I want to just see how everybody here feels about the concepts of empathy and sympathy and what, how the public reacted to this viral situation, what that says about empathy and sympathy in our society. I want to start with you, Luna. What about, how you feel about it? Thanks. That's why I started with you. <laughs> yeah, totally want to address this, man. I know that you and Dark Juan love Black women, support Black women, advocate for Black women. But what I will tell you mm-hmm. is that not all of our brothers feel this way. I often find, and I'm not going to go off tangentially here, but I often find that some Black men make it a I don't know, I guess a goal (laughs) to see how much they can jab at Black women. But let me talk, going back to your question, Helbra, let me speak to Brie Newsom, who we all follow different social media platforms. Brie Newsom posted this on Twitter and she writes, quote, from Gorilla Glue to Britney Spears and beyond, I wish folks would pause and examine what's behind the impulse to dehumanize and eviscerate women like it's a competitive sport to see who can land the hardest blow, right? What's there for me, Helbra, is that, Mm -hmm. 
Thank yeah. you, by the way. Oh, you're, you're so welcome. What's there for me is this in my view, and I know the panel may be split, and by split we mean Dark Juan and Tioff, <laughs> who, who believe this was not a mistake or may lack empathy and they'll, they'll weigh in. But in my view, this was an honest mistake. And why are people finding it necessary and or cute to dehumanize this woman or other women who have made mistakes? It was a mistake. And I'll say this quickly so others can weigh in. I said earlier that when you asked the question, how did we find out about it? It was a local comedian. He posted his skit or his reaction to Miss Brown's unfortunate situation. And it was funny, right? He, he talked about how she, she must have realized that her hair was no different than the hair from the characters in the Toy Story, right? That it's just like, it's plastic, it can't move. And I was chuckling. I, I'm still chuckling. However, when I found out, like Miss Gadal shared, Faith Gadal, when I found out that this young lady suffered injury to her scalp, that this young lady, a mother of five, has to figure out how she's going to afford the procedure to get this removed from her hair, it was no longer a laughing matter to me. So yeah, Helbra, I think we have lacked, we've totally missed the mark when it comes to empathy around the situation and many more that I could speak to, but we'll, we're going to stay on topic here. Well, yeah, thank you. Thank you. I'm going to actually put myself in the hot seat as far as this question goes. I remember the more viral this became, my first initial thought was kind of like, why are we giving this much attention to somebody who literally just, in my opinion, how I felt at the time, just did something really stupid. But when I actually, the more viral it got, I had to sit down and watch it. And like you just referred to Luna, when I saw how she was looking into the camera and she patted her head and literally, like you said, it was like a Barbie doll with no hair. And she was like, my hair, it, it don't move. And you could see right. in her eyes, she, she was in pain. And then when the uh, pictures of her getting the procedures done, it looked like, yeah, this is somebody that is going through a very painful situation. So I think my sympathy for her has grown. I can't say empathy because I feel the difference is empathy is kind of being able to put yourself in someone's shoes. And I can't put myself in, in her shoes because I I just wouldn't ever put Gorilla Glue in my hair for any reason and can't understand why. But I do have sympathy just as far as this woman obviously has gone through a very almost traumatic even experience and she deserves people to feel for her. Can I say something real quick, Helbera, before we move to the others? I, I would challenge you. Okay. I would challenge you that you can empathize because mm. while it wasn't Gorilla Glue that you put in your head, mm. we've all made mistakes. And that's my argument that none of us, I don't care if you're 12, 22, 62, 92, none of us are on this earth mistake free. And I'm just mm. I was thinking ask. the same thing as he was mm. speaking about empathy and sympathy. Yeah, go ahead, sir. Yeah. No, I was thinking the same thing she said. I mean, she took mm -hmm. the words right out of my mouth. If you just think of another situation that you made a mistake or did something foolish, then you would be able to empathize with her. It's just not the exact same thing. Mm, very good points. Very good points. I mean, I've had hair mishaps yeah. myself. I think all women have. But the worst hair mishap I had was I had trimmed my own hair and, and one part of it was uneven, but it wasn't something that wasn't easily corrected with a little extra snip. 
but I was with Ildris on that one as well. Like it was hard for me to feel empathy because I also would never have put, and again, like I said, I don't know if she just wasn't familiar with Gorilla Glue. And again, maybe because I've, I've never used Gorilla Snot, but I, because I have used Gorilla Glue and I'm familiar with the products, I just can't see how I could have made this mistake. But when you look at the front of the Gorilla Glue can, it says on here, glass, plastic, waterproof, you know, all these multi-purpose wood, metal, fabric, foam, plastic, paper, glass, leather. It says it right on the front of the can. So I just, I, it's, it's hard for me to feel empathy in that regard. Not saying I feel like I'm free of mistakes myself because I've made hair mishaps, but nothing to that degree. Mm -hmm. But I do sympathize, especially when the plastic surgeon who volunteered to help her remove the product from her hair for free, that he actually had to put her under. She had to actually had to go under for them yeah. to do the oh, I didn't know that. of getting it out of her hair. So it's not like she just could sit in a chair and they just, you know, pour the stuff on her hair and get her out. They actually had to put her under with the anesthesia for them to do the process. And then that's when it really, not that I was making fun of her laughing at her because I never mocked her. I just could not wrap my head around how somebody could do something like that. But when I realized that the doctor, the plastic surgeon actually had to put her under to get it out of her head. I was like, wow, that really is serious. Yeah. I'm yeah. glad you um, shared that. I didn't know that she had to yeah. go under. No, I didn't either. I, I'm just thinking while we're talking and I feel like the reason why people have become so invested in it is because everyone can, to some degree, relate to her in, in making this mistake. Maybe women who have made similar mistakes as far as their hair care or just anyone in general that's just made a, a genuine, honest mistake. So, yeah, that's I'm definitely forming, reforming my opinion on how much sympathy she deserves. Uh, Dark One, was there anything else you wanted to add? Not particularly. I mean, I think I'm probably a little biased because I've been in the hair care industry and understand the products a little bit better than the average person. I still think, though, to a certain degree, there's a degree of common sense that I would think most people would have. Again, it, it's not a common thing. So it is something that has gone viral, not because of just the visuals of it, but it is I think a lot of people think that she should have probably had enough common sense to know the difference between the two, if not read the label. So at the same time, uh, as you mentioned, it is a mistake. I, she definitely didn't plan to do that to herself. So, you know, and knowing how painful things like that can be, and again, not that particular thing, but just, you know, gluing, let's say your fingers together with super glue or, you know, any of the other things like that. Yeah. I mean, we have to empathize with somebody that's harmed themselves. For me, the empathy is more so that she was harmed, not so much with the decision. I don't think it's a mistake. I think it's a bad decision. I think mistakes are a different, you know, <laughs> fall in a different category. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But well, I, so she made a decision. I'm chuckling because I'm like, she made a decision to make sure that her hair was, and I think Ildris alludes to this earlier in the show, you know, she made a decision because she wanted to remain flawless. And the decision, in my view, ended up being a mistake on the product she used. I just, I don't know, Hellbrook, can we just poll who thinks this was a mistake versus who thinks this was a deliberate act to use something yeah. that, as Tioff mentioned, can bond glass? <laughs> yeah, we, we definitely need to, 
to pull for all of our listeners out here because um, obviously we're going to be divided when it comes to that. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm learning a lot. I'm learning a lot. So I want to personalize this conversation a little bit more. First, I want to ask what relationships did we all have with our hair uh, growing up and what factors do we feel affected that? And then do we feel that Tessica, obviously those same factors, were they or were they not in her space as well to make her do what she did? So I want to pose that question, starting with you, T.R. I did um, take the time to read the interview with her, with Channel 7, I believe it was New York City. She had stated that she always had this relationship to her hair because she felt like her hair needed to be flawless because she was always made to feel ugly because she was a dark-skinned girl. So she felt like to compensate for that or that being made to feel less attractive because of the color of her skin, that she had to make sure she always felt that her hair had to be flawless. And I can relate to that to a specific degree. Growing up myself as a, as a dark-skinned girl, always being told how unattractive I was, I didn't have so much of a bad relationship with my hair as always made, made it a point to make sure my hair looked good. But I, again, I never went to any extreme measures to make sure my hair looked good, but I definitely felt empathy for her in that regard, because I know what it's like being a black girl in America and just told that you're ugly because you exist as a, as a black girl or a black woman. So I could definitely relate to her on that. All right. Thank you. What about you, Faith? Well, for me, I was thinking for her to be putting in some type of weave or a different style other than her natural style, that could very well be the case. I mean, some people enjoy it um, and just like the look or the feel. And then some people have insecurities with their personal hair. So that's why they wear it. I don't know her case, but when we speak about the relationship to my hair, my natural hair was so coarse and hard to deal with that I would just scream and cry as a child when my mother or my sister would try to style my hair. So when they put the chemical on my hair, perm that everybody speaks against, that's what gave me release. I was able to sit and get my hair done. And even to this day, my natural hair is very, very, very hard to deal with. And I've had stylists say, oh, well, you got to let me do it. Oh, you haven't had this person do it. And it, it doesn't matter who does my hair. If they blow it out, they press it out. It's only going to last that day. So different types of weaves and styles work good for me and my hair. So I have that type of love-hate relationship. I would love to wear my natural hair, but what it takes, I just don't have the time and patience to, to do at this time. I, I can relate to that. I feel that Black women, whatever works for you, that is how you should be able to wear your hair. Because to me, at the end of the day, doing dangerous things to your hair or skin notwithstanding, whatever you feel you want to do to your hair, whatever you feel makes it manageable for you, I'm, I support it. But I keep my hair relaxed for that very reason. And I know some of those who may be a part of the natural movement may feel like, oh, you, we shouldn't straighten our hair at all. You know, we're trying to look wider. We don't love ourselves. And for me, I don't feel that's the case. I keep my hair straightening because I have very thick, very coarse hair as well. And it's just easier for me to deal with to keep it straightened. Right. And then when the men put that out there and speak against the hair of women, it creates right. insecurities in some women. So some women are trying to please men or keep up with what's going on, you know, in the public eye. So they're willing to do any and everything to keep up and look what it's costing. But and I don't know if you all are aware of this, just to circle back to something that you just brought up a few moments ago about how discuss how it doesn't seem that there is this focus on hair and other communities like it is black women's hair, 
it, it just seems like no matter what we do to our hair, we're criticized and judged for it. Like I look at like the opposite spectrum of that are Jewish women and the wearing of the shaytal. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but the shaytal is basically a wig that married Jewish women wear as a form of modesty. If there are any listeners who are Jewish that could comment on this, I would love to hear more about it. But my basic understanding is that Jewish women, once they are married, because Jewish women, you know, if you're Orthodox Jewish woman, from what I understand, you have to cover your hair. And instead of putting a hair covering over, they wear what's called the shaytal, and it's an actual wig. You don't hear Jewish men making fun of their women for wearing wigs because that's a part of their culture. But on the other hand, when we do certain things where we use our extensions or straighten our hair, we don't straighten. We're constantly mocked and judged. It's like Black women, what we do to our hair, it's constantly under microscope in the public. And I don't really understand that. Mm. All right. What about you, Runa I love the discussion here. Uh, It's so good. And so I really, really connected with a lot of the points that Tioff and Faith made. And so, you know, Ildris, I know a lot of times you say that I'm about hip hop. You know, I like my hip hop. I like my R&B. You know, I definitely like my neo soul. And so you guys know I got to talk about India Irie. You ask Ildris about growing up, what were, what, what relationship did we form with our hair? Well, 14 years ago, 15 years ago, the song I Am Not My Hair was released, right? So 15 years ago, let's see, I'm 30 now. So I was 15. (laughs) Joke, joke, joke. I'm not 30. I'm a little older. But um, be that as it may, I clearly remember the song. And in I Am Not Your Hair, there are a couple of lyrics that stand out for me. She talks about no corporate will hire a dreadlock. Okay. And so I think about all the things that Black women have to face when it comes to our presentation. We can go off on a tangent on this as well, that it was recently that some laws were passed as far as hair discrimination. So that's one thing. And then I think Faith talked about even the pressures men put on women because of their hair. Well, in this song, I Am Not My Hair by Indiari, she says, nappy-headed brothers never had no ladies, so they hit the barbershop real quick. And so even men, as of late, we've heard about, I don't know how to pronounce it, so I'm just going to call it the man weave. So for me, Ildris, at 15, I'm sorry, (laughs) I'm not 30, so 15 minus my real age would have put me as a relatively young adult. But nonetheless, I remember hearing that song, and on one hand, I was pumping my fist in the air like, yeah, India, I'm not my hair. But then I was like, but I got an interview tomorrow, so let me go ahead and straighten this out. You know what I mean? So it's tricky because there's one part of me that wants to be self-expressed. If if I had it my way, I probably would just let my hair grow out of its head naturally and do whatever it wants to do. But I also know that as a woman that works in corporate America, I have a certain image that I have to maintain whether I like it or not. Incidentally, having my hair relaxed does help in terms of manageability. I've said this before on a previous episode that I just am not creative enough to know how to style my natural hair with twists and blowouts and what all, all the other beautiful styles I've seen. So I don't know if I hit your question, but those are my thoughts. And I had to take it back to the I'm not my hair song. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and thank you, ladies, for sharing. Dark one, brother, I'm going to give you this bulletproof vest and I'm going to give you this helmet and then I'm going to put my own on. And <laughs> we're going to share our relationships with hair and what factors in our lives uh, influence that. So I'll let you go first, bro. 
Okay. Well, um, you know, as you may know, I like to tell people all the time, you know, I'm on Bon Rasta. So I come from Jamaica and my uncles were all Rasta. And so as soon as I became an adult and my dad would let me, I started growing dreads. And I had dreads my entire adult life till I moved here to the South. And part of the, the mission I was on with it was to prove to corporate America that a man with dreads could do the job just as well as anyone else. And for many, many years of my life, I sought to prove that point. And then when I finally moved here to Atlanta, I found that that there's a difference between the perception of a man with dreads in the South and the difference of a perception of a man with dreads in the North. In the North, you're kind of that artsy brother. They're going to ask you where the poetry reading is. Whereas when you move down to the South, you are more looked at as Lil Wayne or kind of a, it's a much more negative perception of a man with dreads. And while I was busy looking for work, I came to the realization that my hair was throwing people off. And so I ended up cutting off about three feet of hair, two and a half feet of hair. And I remember I was talking with a friend of mine who was always poignant. And he said to me, sometimes you have to cut your crop to keep your family warm. And so I really appreciate Luna Ma's discussion on the impact on men as well. I also remember when I was growing up, I would want to have waves like all the rest of the cool brothers, but I didn't have the patience to do it. And my hair, even though I'm light-skinned, my hair, it's pretty normal, normal Black people hair, quote unquote. And so it's somewhere in between soft and coarse. But basically, I didn't have the patience to deal with do-rags and brushing my hair every seven minutes. So I couldn't do that. But I was always kind of jealous of the brothers who had their waves flowing and could make people seasick. So... <laughs> but yeah, we, Black men have their own hair challenges. I think it pales in comparison to the challenges women have, Black women have. But we also have relationships with our hair and can have a love-hate relationship as well. And uh, definitely are impacted in the corporate world by our hairstyles. Yeah, that's, that's very interesting. I didn't even realize that that's the reason why you cut yours, man. But thank you for sharing. I'll share mine, starting with my relationship with women's hair. Growing up here in the South in pretty much all Black community, I've just always, you know, seen many different hairstyles and their hair salons everywhere. And, and I see the journeys that my female peers have gone through with their hair. And I've always had an appreciation for it as far as my attraction. Actually, I didn't share this with you guys, but um, I have this thing for cornrows where when a woman is wearing cornrows, I, I just, I fall in love, you know. Wow. Good to know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> First something new every yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you know, some women have, have liked that. Some women have found it funny. Some women found it weird. But yeah, it's I definitely am drawn to more natural styles as far as what I'm attracted to. But um, as far as my dating life, I've dated women who have all different types of hairstyles. But I think what is landing for me hearing everybody speak, especially the ladies, more importantly, is just like the patriarchy that affects all of this. Shout out to Magic Milan. Go check that Holly Berry episode out if you haven't. But yeah, patriarchy definitely plays a part in this. You know, I remember as a kid in the 90s growing up, brothers could really have their hair however they wanted it to without feeling any societal pressures. You know, 
what sticks in my head is these images, you know, Michael Jordan, you know, he, he of course was bald and, and he was probably the most famous athlete of all time. I remember Tupac being bald and mm, Tupac. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, the group Onyx and, and throw your guns and just, you know, you could be bald and, and still represent strength and represent greatness. Dark One, I know we're huge NBA fans. I remember back in that time period, you know, we had like Clyde Drexler and Carl Malone. If you remember, you remember how they were literally balding, like without shaving their hair. They were literally just, their hair looked like how George Jefferson hair looked. And they were still, you know, getting commercials and getting sponsorships and on the Olympic team and winning MVPs. And, and nobody ever criticized that about them. And even, you know, today, those of us that are familiar with LeBron James and the uh, kind of humorous jokes people give him about the fact that clearly, you know, his hair is thinning, but of course he's still arguably the most popular and most marketable athlete of, of this generation. So it definitely makes me more conscious about how patriarchy affects the differences in, in women's experience and men's experience and life. And um, I definitely appreciate everybody for sharing because I'm learning a lot in this subject. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I just want to add to that, Helbert, because yeah. you bring up an excellent point about mm. patriarchy. And I think it's worth mentioning if we mm. go back to the surgeon who conducted this procedure that saved uh, Miss Brown's scalp, you know, Dr. Obeng, Michael Obeng, a Ghanaian plastic surgeon. I personally want to acknowledge him, right? This is a relatively young man born in 1973, 48 years old who, when everyone else was chuckling and ha ha haing and, oh, she's so fill in the blank, he saw it to himself. And I can't remember who on the panel mentioned that he performed the procedure for free. I believe it was Tioff. He had empathy, right? He had sympathy, empathy for Miss Brown and said, you know what? I'm going to take care of this for you. And I, I want to just read what he said, you know, in terms of once the procedure was over, he says, you should have seen the tears of joy when she could finally run her fingers through her hair. That young lady has been through a lot and I'm glad that she has finally found relief and she's going on now to live a normal life. I'm paraphrasing because it's kind of, I don't know how this was written, this article, but I the, the mm. gist of it is he saw it fit to help this young woman. He could have totally charged her whatever her GoFund account had met. You know, he, he's, he's, I'm sure, following social media like we are. But he chose out of the goodness of his heart. And somebody could say, yeah, well, come on, Luna Ma, he probably also did this to put his name out there. I just want to believe in people's humanity. I want to believe that Dr. Obeng did this out of the kindness of his heart. Maybe like Dark Wan, he has sisters. Or, or certainly he has a mother, <laughs> and said, you know what, this is another woman suffering, and I don't want to see her suffer. What can I do to help? So on one hand, while patriarchy for sure influences the way we as women show up in this world, I do want to acknowledge the great men out there, Dark One, Helbra, and Dr. Obang, who have the empathy and more to the point, take action to advocate, support, uplift, and in this case, solution, right? A very traumatic matter. So that's what I wanted to share. Can I just add something to that? When you said he had the empathy to, you know, treat her in solution, he actually literally developed a solution, a concoction that would break 
that product that glued down to get it out of her hair. So he didn't just right. treat her for free. He actually developed the concoction that would break it down. I could be wrong, but this is what I'm understanding of the situation once he decided to step in to help her is that he actually developed whatever solution that he used to get it out of her hair. So he went far above above and beyond to help her. And I think it's so wonderful what he did. Not only did he come up with the solution, he actually executed it too. Exactly. And I mean, at the end of the day, I, if I'm not mistaken, this procedure was done in Black History Month, right? So, you know, Miss Brown makes history for perhaps all the wrong reasons, this mistake. But then you have Dr. Obang, as you mentioned, Tioff, who came up with the solution, had the empathy to actually perform this procedure. And I, and I want to add one last thing. And this is not about, you know, playing the violin for Miss Brown. It's just, again, to humanize her. Another thing she shares in the same article, the quote I just read, is that she had stopped eating. Like, I've seen pictures of this woman. She's pretty slender. She said she stopped eating. She lost 10 to 13 pounds. So she already has a slender frame. Can you imagine losing 10 to 13 pounds? And this is the part that just pulled at my heartstrings. She says, and then the kids at school who saw my TikTok were making fun of my 11-year-old daughter. She writes, I would go to the bathroom and cry because I'm the reason my child is getting made fun of at school. I'm going to read that again. I would go in the bathroom to cry because I'm the reason my child is getting made fun of at school. That just, I mean, unless your heart is made of steel <laughs> or fiberglass, I just can't imagine it not being jerked when you read that. And so for me, the people out there who are saying, oh, she did this for publicity. She just wanted to get a GoFundMe pig. Da, 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 da. And I don't know if that's how they talk, but that's the voice I make when I'm em emulating people. <laughs> I just want to say, like, who for real was going to do this knowing that there were a possible, the possible outcome would be your child being teased at school? Permanent damage to her hair and skin. Like, a lot of people, I was hearing a lot of people saying she was doing this as a stunt. I, I, I don't believe that to be the case. Agreed. Well, I also, I want to pose a, a quick question to the ladies. What differences as far as race and cultures exist as far as women and their relationships with their hair? And do those differences have any relation to what Tessica Brown did? Right. Hmm. That's such a good question because it's layered, right? I think... <sighs> <laughs> and this is not me intentionally shouting out some of our other episodes. We've just had some great episodes. So, I mean, we did an episode on the burden of the Black girl movement. And mm -hmm. I, I think part of being magical <laughs> as a Black woman is you got to look, you've got to be on point every time. So, so much so that I'll speak for myself. As I mentioned earlier, I work in a corporate setting. During this pandemic, I had to adjust how many times I was going to the hair salon, which for me ended up being, I think, twice <laughs> in 12 months, which is unusual. Normally I'm there every six weeks. And so then I had to consider, oh my God, how am I going to be showing up on Zoom? I don't want people to make fun of me if they see my hair looking matted or whatever. Not that I was just completely giving up on my, <laughs> my uh, self-care, but you know, I wasn't going to the salon. So there were pressures there that I had to deal with. And then when it comes to other cultures, let's just be on the court with it. You've got women like Kim Kardashian, who are in some regard considered the epitome of beauty, maybe not to you, Helper, or you, Dark Blonde, but certainly, you know, Kim Kardashian's um, 
social media sites, I know they've definitely amassed more than a million followers, right? And so that's what's being pushed out to us as women, young women, little girls. And so therefore, there's this desire to, well, we got to look just as good as Kim Kardashian. So Kim K has long, dark hair. Sometimes she, she dyes it blonde, or maybe she's wearing a wig. But it's that idea that it's perfection. Like you never see a strand of hair out of place. So when you talk about the cultural influences, I think when we talk about what some men, I always try to be careful not to generalize, that what some men find desirable or the buzz phrase exotic, you find as a woman that you're trying to either fit that mold because you want to be desired romantically or fit that mold. Like in my case, I'm in a corporate setting and I don't want to and I know it sounds crazy, but it's like, I don't want to offend anyone. I don't want to be like, oh my God, what is going on over there, girl? What's going on with your hair? When they're used to seeing me another way. So I'd love to hear what the other sisters on the panel will say. But for me, I think to answer your question, could any of these influence what Tessica did? Absolutely. You know, interestingly, and anyone who knows, please buzz in. I don't know what she does for a living, Miss Brown. But I, I assert, if nothing else, when she has to pick the kids up from the school, she probably doesn't want to be the mother who's wearing the um, bonnet, <laughs> you know, to school. Uh, we can talk about that, too. That's really a pet peeve of mine. But anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> but anyway, Helper, I'll close with this. Look, we are always going to be influenced by things that we see all the time, whether I, I don't go looking for Kim K pictures, but every time I, I log on to my phone, there she is coming down my feed. It's what we get pushed, what's pushed at us. And in my view, when I go to work, I don't see women of color or women that are of European descent wearing their hair any way but straight and air quotes proper. So I feel influenced to do the same. I'm going to leave it there. There's so much more, but I'll talk about it in the wrap up. Yeah, thank you. We can go to you, Faith. Well, from my experience, even when having conversations with other cultures, believe it or not, they have some of the same issues and concerns. Sometimes they think their hair is too straight. They hate that it's naturally curly or it's too thick to them and things like that. So I don't really see much of a difference except for me being a black woman and my own personal experience with my black hair and then those around me. Good point. Good point. We can finish with you, T.O. Um, I would concur with both the uh, ladies on the panel today. I think in Ms. Brown's case, with our natural hair texture as Black women, like we've always been made to feel that our hair as it grows out of our heads is unkempt. And the hairstyle that she had her hair, and it was like a, basically a molded ponytail. And for Black women, we've always been made to feel, you know, if you're going to slick that hair back in a ponytail, not a hair can be out of place. We put the gel onto the spray. We take a, a hairband or a scarf to tie it down to make sure it doesn't lift back up. You know, there's so many things that we do to our hair to make sure that it stays in place. And I do believe that a lot of it does have to do with us being conditioned for centuries to feel that our hair, as it grows out of our head, is inappropriate. But I also just wanted to add on to what Ms. Gadal said about women of other cultures. I've, you know, talked to women of other cultures or even seen on social media women of other cultures talking about the negative relationships they develop with their hair. Like, for example, some Asian women who, unlike the rest of their family members or other Asian counterparts, they had curly hair as opposed to the stick straight hair that many Asians, like East Asians, for example, or even South Asians may have. You know, they've always been made, they were made to feel out of place because their hair wasn't straight like anybody else. Or you have women of other ethnicities as well who feel like they're not 
is attractive because their hair isn't blonde. So they dye it like an Indian culture. There's emphasis on keeping the hair healthy to make sure it's really long. So it's definitely, uh, hair is definitely a point of contention for all women across the board. I just feel like, again, as I stated earlier, Black women are just more under a public microscope about our hair. And I think we are under microscope more about our hair because it does seem that whatever we do to our hair is seen as bad, whether we straighten it, whether we relax it, put a wig or an extension on whatever we do to our hair, we're, we're mocked about it. Yeah, thank you for sharing, ladies. I want to wrap up the conversation just discussing what things do we need or what changes do we feel the hair and beauty industries need going forward? And uh, I want the ladies to finish wrapping this up. So I'll start by getting your opinion on this, Dark one. Well, I mean, I think I think we have to divorce ourselves from colonialism and and patriarchy, you know, in this context, because I think that from black people's perspective, those two influences are really profound on our culture. So we judge ourselves by European standards. And I always say Africa is is surging right now, but we see even African women straightening their hair and, and wearing weaves. I think that there are a lot of things that women do to entice men or to meet the standards that men set. But I think I kind of look back on, let's say the 70s and maybe even late 60s where Sisters would wear their afros and natural hairstyles with pride, but we've moved away from that as we've moved forward in time. And I think we just have to, the start of it really, I guess, is to really be intentional about defining what is beautiful for a Black woman and not seek to meet other people's standards because we've been doing this long enough. And I remember back in the 30s or whatever, Black men were straightening their hair too. So... At any point, we're never going to meet that standard. And for us to truly gain power in our presentation and our self-image and our image in general, we have to reclaim it from other people's standards. That's the start. And it's going to take time because we have to socialize ourselves to accept ourselves. You know, it's not accidental that we are here. And when we talk about patriarchy, too, we have to say, whose patriarchy are we talking about? Because as Ildris said I kind of concur with him too. Yeah, I like to see a sister with cornrows. I like natural hairstyles. I always have. So it's not my patriarchy that sisters are trying to live up to. It's someone else's patriarchy. And I think that Black men would be much more tolerant of Black women's natural hair than other cultures, per se. And, and let's just speak on it. The majority here in America. So yeah, we, we have to be intentional about changing this. They're not going to change it for us. If we want to save ourselves if we want to change, we have to save ourselves. So that's my my take on it. Yes, thank you, thank you. Let's shoot it to you, Faith. I'm gonna have to pass on that one. I, I can't really off the top think of a change that needs to be made. Mm -hmm. I mean, like the young lady said earlier, if the instructions on the can and the Gorilla Goose situation is right there, right on the front, smack dead, you can't miss it. And then when you get to the Gorilla Snot, those directions, you know, are right there, then it's really not something the industry could have done about that. That comes totally on the user. She has to be able to comprehend and read the directions. That's why they're there. And that's actually a good point because I think I did read something about her or her team trying to sue Gorilla Glue. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong or add to it if you have more knowledge on this situation. But I do think I, I read that. I'll let you go, Tia. 
Yeah, so to that point, Ildris, she was going to sue initially, but then she later stated that she would not sue them because she realized that it was her own mistake putting the Gorilla Glue in her hair. But as far as what I think the hair care industry needs to do going forward, it's not the hair care industry, it's culture. And to go back to what Darquan is saying, that patriarchy, it is white male patriarchy. And the idea that Black women are not beautiful as we are does come from slavery, colonialism, and racism. But the thing about it, I think from a cultural anthropological perspective, how we do our hair, how we do our makeup, the way we dress, getting plastic surgery, all those things humans have done across millennia. Humans have always modified themselves according to what is considered to be beautiful, attractive within their culture to be either considered high status or to attract the best mate. So what Black women do to our hair or any woman, it isn't so much the industry itself is it is it's what well in america this is a capitalist society so we can say that our culture is shaped by industry and, and capitalism because at the end of the day you know our society is about making money so i guess it can go hand in hand in that regard but it's in terms of the desire to look beautiful or, or to change ourselves to attract certain people that's a part of human nature this has been studied this is what humans do but unfortunately in america in American culture, what's defined as what's beautiful is shaped by white supremacy and racism. So that's where the issue comes in for us as Black women or, or Black people in general, how we view ourselves and what we deem as beautiful or attractive. I very much agree. I very much agree. All right, Luna Ma. Yeah, I mean, there's so much to unpack, but, you know, <laughs> I can't be here in Atlanta, Georgia and not talk about the Bronner Brothers, right? It's one of the largest private African-American hair and skincare producers in the U.S. So many decades ago, it was founded in 1947 by the brothers, Dr. Nathaniel H. Bronner and Arthur Bronner. And so why am I talking about the Bronner brothers? Well, it goes back to Helper's question, you know, what do we think the hair care industry needs to do going forward? Well, I don't know about the Bronner brothers, but I can tell you <laughs> with revenues, this is from 2004 being in the 38 million neighborhood, 38 million, they are selling product and they're selling image that your here is your glory, your here is your crown, okay? And oh, by the way, <laughs> in the pandemic, there are show dates in August of this year. Now, I don't know if this is gonna be virtual, but of course, anyone who's been to a Bronner Brother international beauty show knows their exhibits, their classes, their workshops, their panels, I don't know. I hope I hope someone reaches out to, you know, Miss Brown, Tessica and say, hey, we want you to be a part of the industry. What can we do? Going back to your question, Helbra, what can we do to ensure that this industry, which obviously is very profitable, it doesn't exclude or more so it doesn't put unnecessary pressure on young girls growing up to teenagers, growing up to young women, growing up to be your age, Tessica Brown, 40 feeling that they have to, and she may be more than 40, but I know at minimum she's 40. She looks amazing. You know, so there's not that additional pressure. And just, you know, and I'm not poking fun, but I just thought it's interesting that one of the products, I didn't know this, that the Bronner Brothers produces is called Pump It Up. Well, if you didn't know, that happens to be a product that has a super hold. So, you know, one of the questions that I have is, 
are there more products that would give Miss Brown the super hold that she was looking for that happens to not be something that could have been as damaging as what we saw she, she of course, endured. So it's a great question. I, I don't know if I am qualified to fully answer it, but I, I know the presence of Bronner Brothers here in Atlanta. And I would love to know, you know, with this uh, convention that's coming up in August, again, I'm not sure if it's virtual or or live. <laughs> we certainly had a, a live all-star event this weekend. So I'm not sure if this convention, uh, Helper and Company, is going to be live, but it's slated for for August of this year. Will Miss Brown be invited? I don't know. Pump it up. It's a product that Bronner Brothers produces. It's a super hold. Are there other products that would have given her that perfection without her having to damage her scalp? Yeah. Yes, there there were. She she actually had it. She ran out of it, which is why she used but it. But that's one product tee off. And my question is more so, is there variety when it comes to holding products that do super hold that yeah. are gentle and don't cause, granted, we obviously know the product she used now wasn't the appropriate product, but I'm just curious, you know, in Dark One, you talk about being in the hair industry, are there, could you all, without Googling it, name five products that do super hold that are also, here's the other thought, Helbra, when you talk about what can the industry do, are they inexpensive? Because I, I want to say this, and then I'm going to shut up. <laughs> I want to say this. When I was growing up, say like when I was, you know, 18, between 18 and 25, if I didn't find a product at Sally's, I would ask my beautician, hey, where can I find this product? Oh, you have to buy it through me or you don't have a Cosmo license. And I'm like, dang. And the reason why I was trying to buy these products is because during that period of my life, I was a college student. I was a broke college student. <laughs> Shout out to my broke college students. So, you know, I wasn't trying to go to the hair salon and pay 65, 70 and upwards to get my hair done. I was trying to be self-sufficient and, and DIY, right? Do it myself. And so, you know, I, I bring this up because it's like, are the other products that are out there on the market that you can order from Amazon now, are they safe and are they affordable and are they plentiful? There are. <laughs> there are. There's Eco Styler. There's uh, different brands of edge control. Of course, the Gorilla Snot, the Got to Be Glued that we mentioned. There are plenty of products on the market so it's not like there's there's no accessibility for market products that provide extreme hold for that are made for black women's hair or that they're safe for our hair. There, there's plenty. So yeah, yeah. I still think, and not to be contradictory, but I think that is more so addressing the symptom than the cause. I think there wouldn't be any need for those products if Black women were defining their own, or at least not as many of them, if Black women were defining their own sense of beauty as opposed to trying to emulate others. I agree with that to a degree, but I think a part of it is not so much emulating as it is, if you wanna wear certain styles, you need certain products to achieve that certain style. If someone is trying to do an updo or molded look, then that requires holding products. So I don't see anything wrong with a woman who wanted to have a more sleek look, depending on the look that she's trying to go for. Because even though I don't wear my hair natural, I, I follow the natural movement a bit just to see, you know, what some of the products the sisters use and stuff. And a lot of women who are natural, because as Faith mentioned earlier, you know, when the hair gets tough to deal with, you know, they change it up. They do updos, they wear wigs, they braid it down, they pull it back. And when they do the styles that are more pulled back, even the sisters that wear their hair natural, they put certain gels on it or edge control to smooth it down. It just depends on the 
the look that you're, you're trying to go for as well, I think. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I just think that there's a matter of how it's weighted. I think there are far more Black women seeking to emulate styles that are not natural to their diaspora than there are who are. And so, yeah, there's, there are always going to be Black women who want their hair straight, let's say, you know, just to keep it simple. But I think that if we address why that is to the level of that is skewed currently, there will be less need for those products and maybe need for other products that allow Black women to deal with their Black hair in a way that is more manageable. So I, I still think that the cause for, let's say, Brunner Brothers and other hair product producers making so much money, and we're not even talking about just straight hair sales, but just our black hair industry making so much money, it would shift because we would be seeking to have different styles. It would be more common for us to have more natural, and I'm not saying necessarily natural black hair, but hairstyles that are more natural to black women. That would be the focus of our definition of beauty. And so we would behave differently. We would purchase differently. And I think we would have less damaging styles than we do now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I feel personally this is a question that is definitely more so um, I think the woman's opinion should be valued a little bit more just because of how the pressure of upholding what we consider beauty is put much more on women than it is as men, as I said before. But I appreciate you all sharing and, and we're going to go ahead and wrap this up now with our traditional 60 seconds or less just summary. So let's start with you, Dark One. I mean, I think I've stated most of my points. Yeah, I just think that we as Black people have to reclaim our definition of beauty, both men and women. It's not something that is going to happen overnight. It's taken this long, taken hundreds of years for us to be programmed in this way. And it will likely take a similar amount of time for us to regain that sense of internalized beauty and to proliferate that throughout our diaspora. So we have to change it. We can't expect anyone to change it for us, especially when they're making billions of dollars off of the brainwashing. All right. Luna have to go after dark one <laughs> no that was uh he always drops drops the mic here so it's like oh i gotta follow this guy but you know listen i first of all helbra this has been amazing great questions i just have totally enjoyed this and i know our our listeners will too one of the questions that we have on our website thetangentalk.com about this episode is how far are women willing to go to ensure they look their best? And we've talked about that today. Obviously, Miss Brown went to an extreme length, but I, I you know, I got to end with some lyrics. So I'm going back now to India Irie's song, I'm Not the Average Girl. And she says, I'm not the average girl from your video. I ain't built like a supermodel, but I learned to love myself unconditionally because I am a queen. And so I talked about Kim K. I talk about this desire, especially in the corporate setting, for me to make sure I look my best. And not just I look my best. You guys also know I grind so that I do my best and I produce my best work. But it's I've often said that we are our own brands, right? So if 
I'm Luna Ma in the workplace, I've got a brand that I have to uphold. I can't just come into the office disheveled on Monday, you know, hair done and everything on fleek. I, I think I'm dating myself. I don't think we use that anymore. But anyway, uh, I, on Tuesday, I've got to be consistent Monday through Friday looking my best. And unfortunately, sometimes that means I'm doing things that may be for the how do I want to say, maybe for others to accept me versus me accepting myself. So I really appreciate that NDIRE says, I've learned to love myself unconditionally. Maybe for some of us, maybe that's the challenge. How do I love myself unconditionally such that if I have a flyaway or my hair hasn't been recently done by a beautician and I'm just doing it myself, that I, I can love myself unconditionally that whatever or however I present myself, except for that bonnet. Seriously, ladies, stop wearing that out in the grocery stores. Sorry, I had to say that. Um, but <laughs> so, like, God, I just, oh, I want to do an episode on that. But I'll wrap it up by saying this, Helbra. I have it that many of us could learn to love ourselves unconditionally, thank you, thank you. as Miss Indiana speaks up in her song. It's so definitely that we're not a big lesson learned. Dangerous lens to look our shared, best. You know, what, and that's my wrap up. We have to be mindful of what lengths we're going to go to look our best. And it's just a certain level of social conditioning, as Darquan mentioned, it, it took us, you know, centuries to get where we are. And it may take even more centuries to get out of this way of thinking. But I think not just Black women, women in general, there's just so much pressure uh, with social media now to look a certain way, do your makeup a certain way. And it's nothing wrong with wanting to look your best, but you should never endanger yourself to do that. But I just feel like a lot of women just feel so much pressure to the point of desperation to look a certain way. And I don't know what we can do as a as a society, as a culture to get women out of that line of thinking, because people are trying to do that. But it's like those voices get drowned out. That's a very good point. And last but not least, once again, thank you for joining us, Faith. And let's just get your final thoughts on this topic. And if you want to shout out or plug anything, please feel free to. So how about you, Faith? Well, I'm going to say thank you guys so very much for having me on. I enjoyed it. Um, my final remarks would be what I take from it and what I would like anybody else to take from it is just to love yourself and be secure and comfortable in who you are, regardless to your, the texture of your hair, how you can get it done or can't get it done. If we embrace who we are, we'll realize that our hair doesn't really make us. And then we'll be comfortable enough to change up different styles or not be so down and out if we can't afford to get our hair done because we've embraced the fact that our hair doesn't make us. So we just find peace and comfort in who we are regardless to our hair. What we can change about our hair, change it. What we can't, embrace it. And just be confident in who we are as a people, whether it's kinky, nappy, or straight, just loving ourselves and it doesn't matter who doesn't accept it or what media says our hair should look like. When we find ourselves in that place of confidence, regardless of, then we'll have that peace and we won't make those foolish mistakes trying to get attention or try to make something work that we can't make work and suffering long-term consequences. Yeah, thank you. Thank you again so for joining us, Faith. One. And I'll just do this episode by saying, salute. you guys, I came salute. into this thank topic you. so thank unconscious you, to a lot of things that you all said. So I appreciate what you've shared. And, and I'm definitely more conscious and I will be going forward as a man to how I uh, to how I view standards of, of beauty, especially with hair. 
and especially with Black women and women of color. And um, I will lastly just say everybody needs to know that self-love and self-harm are never one and the same. So thank you for joining us here at the table mm. talk. Wow. Say, can you say that? Say that. Let me get my notebook out. Yeah, say yeah. it again. Self-love mm -hmm. and self-harm are never one in the same. Okay, let me just mm, let me yeah, let me all salute. right now. All right now. <laughs> Pastor <laughs> help us. Yeah, right, right. Teach us. Yeah. Sage helper. No, no, I appreciate you guys, but and I appreciate everybody out there for listening to this episode. And just everyone take care of yourself and love yourselves. Be safe. Thank you. Mm -hmm.